So I'm not hung over today, which is nice. Lovely. That's always good. <laughs> uh, listeners, it was my birthday weekend, and yesterday was a little rough. <laughs> but you had a good time. I had a great time. I dragged my friends and the both hosts included here uh, to karaoke. It's very fun. Yeah, it was it was a blast. I paid the price. I pulled a muscle trying to zip up my jumpsuit in the bathroom by myself, even though I had help. I thought I could do it. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't. <laughs> you flew too close to the sun. My knees hurt from like bouncing, which is how I dance, I guess. It's just bouncing my knees. <laughs> I mean, that's a tried and true move. You did more dancing than I did, though. I was mostly (laughs) seated and like just sort of weak sways back and forth. I'm not much of a dancer. You held it down on the tambourine, though. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah, that was my first time playing tambourine. I think I played triangle once in jazz band and I would not recommend it again. (laughs) It wasn't great. I want to say I did maracas at one point, too. Yeah, I can't do rhythm instruments. Not my thing. Uh, I think I would be bad at, like, full-on drum set drums, you know? Too much going on. You did well on the tambourine, though. Thanks. <laughs> okay, so we do need to get more than five minutes of academic content in here, so <laughs> let's get oh to it. Oh, my God, that review killed me. <laughs> it's fine. Like, you know, different people like different things. No, we're just going to read facts this week. Just the facts. Only facts. That's going to be really hard because this is another discussion episode. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not just going to be facts. It'll be, but there, there will be a lot of facts actually. So let's get into it. Let's uh, get into our topic here: a discussion about democracy, which we all know is under siege in America. <laughs> so I've heard, or it dies in darkness, or it does. You know, it's really a dark time for democracy, according to. The CNN, like, banner. Like, what is it called? The ticker or whatever at the bottom? Mm-hmm. I bet they just have, like, that saved as, like, a file of just, like, oh, is democracy under attack again? All right, put that on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But let's, let's, let's talk about it. What do people even mean when they say democracy? What should we, you know, what should we be thinking about? What is it? Give me a definition. All right. Definition of democracy. I'm sure it's contentious, right? I mean, you know, not everybody agrees, but like just the bare bones here uh, comes from the Greek. This is what you learn in school, right? Uh, It comes from the Greek demokratia, demos meaning the people and then kratos meaning rule. So the rule of the people. So some form of government where the people have the authority uh, to decide on the laws or to deliberate on the laws or to choose people to do that for them. So that's generally what we're talking about with democracy. That's very vague. That's very broad. Mm-hmm. Because like, like you hinted at, by the people can mean lots of different things. Like, is it directly like we're voting on every single issue? Is it, you know, we are going to tell these guys what we want and they're going to do it for us? Like, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Yeah. So one you just mentioned, let's just have someone else do it, right? Let's, it's called representative democracy. Uh, where you choose somebody, you know, the, I think the, the cow poster that we must have alluded to in our first episode. Yes, we did. Uh, said, you elect the best face for TV. <laughs> and uh, they go and, you know, they tell you how to distribute the cow's milk. Uh, That's right. 
uh, that representative democracy, you choose your leaders and then they kind of are vested with power to like enact legislation or change the laws, basically. However, however they told you they would or their party would or whatever, like it, it kind of depends. Or however they got paid to. Yeah. You know, or, and, and some countries do have like party discipline and stuff. So like they have to vote with their parties and their parties like kind of steer them to go do certain things. It's a little more organized, but yeah, in America t- typically it's just like, well, who gave me campaign donations? Uh, what am I looking at poll numbers wise? That sort of thing. Is that okay? Parliamentary is still technically representative, right? It's a different kind of representative. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, it's just a uh, multi parties usually. Uh, parliamentary. Uh, when people say that, one thing they usually mean is like you have a prime minister as your oh leader. Okay. So, so like, so you have a parliament, right? But what's the difference in that and in Congress? It's just like a term. Except for parliament is the one that elects their prime minister. Right. So you actually just vote for the parties and then the the party that gets the majority or that, you know, is the biggest faction. Generally, they get to have they'll have an election in parliament to pick the prime minister. And then that's the leader of the government. Uh, And then you have like a separate head of state. Some places like France, they have a they have a president. Also, some places, you know, United Kingdom, they, they have like a monarch still. Whereas here, like the Congress, they they do the legislative branch stuff, you know, but they don't elect the head of state, the president. We do that indirectly through stupid electoral college shit. Yeah, yeah, it's not real. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We kind of already know what's bad about representative democracy as it stands today. Is there a scenario where that could be good? Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it would look radically different than... Yeah, let's pretend it is. Let's pretend we could be like, there's no more money in campaigns. Like, you know, we we do some shit to make sure it's not like as completely corruptible as it is right now. Okay. What would that look like? It would look like socialism. Okay, yeah. (laughs) So under capitalism, you know, what Marxists frequently call bourgeois democracy or liberal democracy or whatever, um, capitalist democracies there's a lot of limitations, you know, and you said we, we kind of know all of them, but like it ultimately runs up against the problem of interests. Uh, the ruling class, it's not in their interest to let the government like take them out of power. So you're essentially restricted to just nibbling at the edges of things. Cause if you get too close, they're going to just stop you. All right. They're just going to get rid of that government. They're going to turn to fascism. Like we talked about, or just, you know, suspend elections or do something else besides let you take power from them, you know, through the democratic process. Okay. So like, let's make a, make a concrete example of this. We wake up tomorrow. Money has been taken out of politics. No more, you know, campaign financing. Like that's just not a thing you can do anymore. You just vote and, and the guy wins, you know, whoever you voted for wins. And somehow we all elect really cool socialist people. So you're saying they would get up there to D.C. or wherever and they would be like, hey, we're going to provide X, Y, Z for the people. This is what they were elected to do. And then like the healthcare companies would just be like, yeah, no, we're not. We're just going to ignore that. <laughs> um, That's a weird scenario. But like <laughs> it's a very weird one on a lot of levels. A lot of weird shit has to happen. Yeah, that's sort of an impossibility. But like, OK, let's run with it. <laughs> you're assuming that we you know, return like a super majority of 
you know, so, uh, some sort of socialist block of parties. Yeah, we have uh, a mandate from the people. Yeah, to the House of Representatives and to the sclerotic Senate, which essentially means we have to, like, sweep the elections there because it's only one election cycle. It's only a third of the Senate that we got to vote in. Mm, yeah. So we'd probably have to do this over two different two, two Yeah, two cycles, cycles later. We got everybody again. in there. And we got Insane. the president, whatever. At this point, we're really selling ourselves short. If we're have if we have that much of a mandate, we should honestly be in the Capitol <laughs> in numbers uh, and forcing a constitutional convention to to get rid of the horrible straitjacket that we're in. <laughs> and, and just but but if you do want to con- restrict yourself and say no, we're not going to do that. What could we do within this framework? Okay, whatever. Let's do that. I'm saying that if the if lawmakers and the president try to move beyond just social welfare programs, which I don't think they mind too much. They've done that before. All right. That's just social democracy. And you can do that off the backs of, you know, your imperial possessions all over the world. You can do that. It's fine. I I don't think they have a problem with that. They don't like it. They'll complain. They'll run reactionaries against you in the next election. If you go and say, well, we're going to nationalize whatever, like huge sectors of the economy. Nationalize you know, oil, the banks, we're going to, or we're going to stop that imperialism. Like, yeah, that ain't going to work. That's First when off, that's a coup. Yeah. That's when you're going to see some <laughs> sort of coup, some sort of, uh, you know, assassinations on it. I mean, like they, mm-hmm. they will resort to whatever. And Not be a, us, Dave and Dan, calm down. No, we're saying that, that you guys, your factions would find ways to, you know, conveniently stumble across plenty of Socialist politicians who had just conveniently fallen out of buildings and stuff, you know. Uh huh. Uh huh. That's what. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, I think you're right. I think the just the military is too powerful in this country to let its power get taken away. That's another thing. Yeah, the military. If you challenge that, that does not go well for people usually. Now, hey, for the reformists out there, I mean, I hope you're right. <laughs> That'd be great. If we did this and it and it didn't happen, I would be glad. I would record, you know, we could record, keep doing our podcast, but just be like, man, you remember man, that time we're so we were stupid. wrong? Yeah, like we could, we, <laughs> we could do that. That'd be fine. The we were dumbasses hour. Yeah, that would be great. The, yeah, we'd have to eat all of our words essentially because that goes all the way back to, you know, Lenin versus what's his name? Uh, Bernstein, the, the reformist and, and Kautsky and all those guys. <laughs> and we would be just completely discredited and that would be cool but i just don't I think would it would love happen. to be discredited in that particular way that'd be great yeah because <laughs> it'd be so nice it'd be so peaceful you know oh yeah that'd be rad uh very hopeful so okay yeah here's hoping <laughs> so let's say we go to the next kind of form which is i think what a lot of people's gut instinct is to turn to when they're like man this representative thing just isn't working out it seems to be inherently corruptible what if it's direct democracy Okay, so direct democracy, you're looking at everyone directly voting or directly deciding uh, on what uh, the laws of the country or, well, whatever level you're at, right? They're directly making the laws themselves. I think a lot of people's initial reaction to hearing that would be like, hey, I don't have time to vote on everything. So does this mean like you probably should have a smaller, like, area to work with 
Like you're not voting on everything countrywide. Maybe there's some votes that you do countrywide, but like most of it would be more local. Yes. Yeah. If, if you're trying to implement it smartly anyway, direct democracy doesn't scale very well. You'd spend all day voting. <laughs> right. Like, and voting about things that you increasingly you know, know. Yeah. Increasingly you don't know <laughs> much about, or maybe it doesn't affect you as much. Like, how do I know whether something, you know, a new facility should be built in Minnesota? Like, kind of far away you know uh so yeah you run into that problem it's it's really good i think when when applied at the local level we'll see some examples of that today but as you get up it's not to say you can't do any direct democracy when you when you go up to higher you know nation level or whatever but it has to be on just things that like hey we want to be on the same page about this what are we gonna like a referendum sort of thing that makes sense to me. Yeah, the, the, that was going to be the second pitfall I, I, I see people mention a lot. Is like, there's this idea of people have to be informed in order to vote. Like, you can't just be making decisions based on nothing. And if you do direct democracy, like, how do we know? You know, like, there's this idea of like, oh, this guy's smart, so he should be in charge, you know? Yeah, and that's something that I think we saw in Malatesta's writing was he was kind of saying look, if people are uninformed about things, what is going to make it better for them to like, you know, all pool together their uninformedness? <laughs> We're all that, dumb together. Yeah. How is that going to make a better decision? You know, and he's like, it's not really like, you know, and that, that's, that's a fair criticism, I think. So part of a functioning uh, democratic system would be people need to have, you know, have the ability to be informed about things. So let's kind of put the same scenario up, but it's for direct democracy. Somehow we have switched to a direct democracy. Welcome, everybody. It's cool here. Yeah, this is like uh, fifth ed America, where just like <laughs> a, a wizard gets a wish and just transforms everything immediately. It's like the butterfly effect, but instead of like flapping its wings, you like had oh. sex with the butterfly or something yeah. extreme. <laughs> or, or no, dude, like one of the uh, one of the World War One time travelers really, yes. really they went really wild. did some shit. And they so, put yeah. on like a one man Broadway play, and everyone was like, "Wow!" <laughs> and yeah, then years later, bam, direct democracy in America. All right, that's all it takes, guys. Okay, so let's pretend that happened. Is there a way? then does it face that same issue of representative democracy where like even if everybody voted for it and was on board with like dismantling capitalism we'll probably run into the same issue right no uh well oh. sort of i mean uh, if you at, at that point you have the revolutionary masses you at least have the masses that desire strong enough change to basically be trying to implement socialism uh through the ballot box so the capitalists at that point know that, hey, we've either like, well, okay, we, we can fight against this. They know that they're going to be provoking like a a revolution, basically. <laughs> if we say no, some bad shit's going to happen. Right. If everybody's participating in all this stuff, like that's the only, I guess you could still have low turnout. And so most people aren't voting. You still have low turnout. And then also just like the sheer amount of, I guess, wealth and power that some people have. They could maybe use that to fund their own little private armies and shit, you know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing is like they can totally still win a revolutionary conflict because they've got all this technology <laughs> and shit. So Yeah, they got the drones. Um, 
So that's another kind of downside to that whole avenue. To be fair, that's a downside to our avenue of just straight up revolution too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying is revolution faces that like mm, bleak, (laughs) bleak prospect. (laughs) Uh, But I guess you could still say that maybe there's the same level of support. The level of socialism is just channeled differently. So maybe that's not a big difference. Okay. If we're a direct democracy, do we even need, do we have like a Congress at that point? That's the thing. I think direct democracy requires such a radically different structure than we have. That I I don't even know if that applies. Like, I guess like in this imaginary world, a state, it could just be like, well, yeah, well now Indiana's socialist. Bye. At that point. Yeah. (laughs) We essentially are running a commune or are running like a worker state. Kind of like, because we have to decide on everything. How is it then carried out? You know, like. It becomes like a, a territory kind of thing or like a, a confederation. That's the word. Yeah. This is a wild hypothetical. Yeah. Not this is crazy. fruitful. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. Let's keep going. Okay. So I was looking through other types of democracy and I wanted to ask questions about some of them. Okay. Because a lot of people have thought a lot about this. <laughs> Yeah, it's been around since, you know, ancient Greece, so... We've had some time to stew. (laughs) (laughs) All right, some people think there should be, like, a lottery system. We're like, okay, now you get to run this thing. That seems crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know that they did this uh, in for some, like, political offices and stuff in ancient Greece. I don't know if it's had any... a lot of modern success. I haven't heard of it. I mean, maybe on a commune level that works for things like, all right, who's on toilet duty? But like, that doesn't seem very applicable for anything larger than that. Um, It's not like the more complex things you're dealing with or the things that require more specialized knowledge. It, it gets worse as a decision making method. All right. What other kinds are there? There's like a million kinds of this thing. So many flavors. Yeah, I think that these are more like descriptors. They're, it's not like you see, oh, this country, they are a cellular democracy or something. But that's the next one we'll talk about. So cellular democracy just refers to a very ground up sort of uh, grassroots level democratic process where you kind of have like neighborhood level councils and then you build up from there. So you would like, you know, have your local neighborhood like, you know, government, I guess, uh, and then that would build up to maybe your your town government, and then that would build up to your state government. And you'd kind of elect delegates from those delegates at those local levels all the way up. Okay. I mean, that sounds good. I mean, that, I think, along with the direct democracy, like, I could see those pairing into a commune lifestyle pretty well. Yeah, yeah. This one's a good, I think, a pretty good aspect. It's still, I mean, it's still kind of representative in a way. I mean, you you are electing leaders. Oh, do your neighborhood leaders then go to, like, the county to make decisions? Is that how that works? Yeah, so they'll select from among themselves, you know, who's cool, we're going up to the next level, that sort of thing. You can do it that way. Um, Is that how the Communist Party worked in the Soviet Union? Uh, it's similar to that, yeah. It's... um. It, that you're thinking um, within like the the Communist Party itself and like the Supreme Soviet and everything. Yeah, you would elect kind of at the local level and build up from there. Yeah. I think that's good because then you don't have to worry yourself with like 
questions that you don't really have a frame of reference for. Like we talked about like, yeah, I don't know what they should do. Where the fuck over there? Cause I don't live there. So you get to kind of not deal with that, but you can still deal with things that directly relate to you. That sounds good. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a bad, not a bad idea. So I think again, it's, it's, it's like a, a component. It's not the whole system. It's just describing one aspect of it, you know? So what about majority rule versus consensus? I had kind of a hard time figuring. Is majority just like, well, it's, it's 51 to 49, so like, fuck you, you lose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Majority rule is, okay, is just simple, simple. majority. 50 plus one, yeah. What's the consensus? Like, everybody has to get on board? So consensus, yeah, I think of this as a spectrum. So consensus is anywhere from, like, unanimous, right? We have to get, that's, I mean, a literal consensus would be everyone agrees. <laughs> take a long time or very close to everyone agrees but then you know you can kind of sliding scale that like how much of a percentage do you need to say we reached a consensus you know like is one cantankerous fellow like enough to you know throw the whole thing out or what to me the majority versus consensus question you know each one has kind of its own pitfalls like like majority can be kind of tyrannical because you're like bossing people around if they lost the vote right but consensus can be, like you said, kind of take a long time. It can lead to a lot of inaction because you're having to discuss and, and rework your proposals and all this till you get everyone on board. Yeah, until you end up doing like really mealy mouth, like nothing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, another is a discussion um, about like, okay, so should democracy be more aggregative or more deliberative aggregative being like oh we're just trying to take like the average of what people think is that kind of it well it's yeah it's kind of like um it's essentially just just boiling down to voting and saying Mm -hmm. uh we are trying to figure out what people's preferences are and act on that so you you know vote on a proposal you vote on a candidate and then whichever one wins that's what we do uh deliberative focuses more on the uh, discussion or deliberative side of things. Uh, it says that really democracy should be focused on making sure that an actual, uh, it's kind of talking about that consensus thing of like an actual um, interaction is had and people like speak about their ideas and, and get to express those and maybe reach a consensus or maybe have to vote if we can't reach a consensus. But it's basically talking about having more input rather than just checking a box. Again, these are not individual uh, types. These are traits. So if we pair this with, let's say, a direct democracy, deliberative would be like you go to the town council meeting first and you hear out everybody's sides to it and then you vote. Whereas aggregative is just like, hey, what the fuck you want to (laughs) do? Right. So aggregative doesn't really care what your opinions were to begin with. What they're going to do is give you a multiple choice thing, right? And then you pick from that. And you don't really get to say, well, you know, none of these really are great, right? There's no room for that. Deliberative, like you could come up with a new idea, like, oh, what about option C? Like, I got it. Yeah. And that's, I think that's cool. Um, Me too. It's like, it it ends up being more authentic. And so your results, you can really start getting those crazy, you know, the, the, the Western press and everything likes to be like, oh, this barbaric, uh, you know, communist country, they had 85% of people voting for this thing. Obviously it's rigged. If you are actually putting in the work to get people's opinions about things beforehand, 
you might see a scenario where lots and lots of people want to go and vote and approve the thing that they spent like hours of their day hammering out. Okay, yeah, that's kind of the next thing I want to talk about is like turnout. Like we have such a huge problem with turnout in this country and Mm -hmm. in a lot of places, I'm sure they have similar issues. Uh, Oh, let's just look it up. What's our turnout right now? U.S. voter turnout, Google (laughs) machine. All right, 2020, you want to guess? Uh, 40%. Actually, a lot higher, 62. 62, I guess we didn't have anything else to do. (laughs) We were all bored at home. (laughs) 62% of us were like, yeah, I'll risk my life for this old ass motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) I did it. I didn't like doing it, but I did it. Wild. Wow. Wow. 54 in 2016. That's quite the jump. Do you have like a voter turnout by country? Mm, Let's do that. Would you like to guess the highest country for voter turnout? It's got to be one of those mandatory countries. Um, And who is mandatory? (laughs) Um, Cuba's not voluntary. They're they're voluntary. Vietnam is voluntary. Cuba's not on this list. Maybe I should get a different list. (laughs) Um, Somebody is compulsory, though. I don't know. Who? According to this chart, it was Iceland. Iceland, okay. Yeah. 81% of registered voters showed up. Wow, nice. That was in 2017. 2018, actually, Turkey wins with 88.97%. Ah, okay. We're always way down on that list, so we're not very good at it. Oh, yeah. It takes uh, quite a bit of scrolling to get to us. (laughs) We are in the bottom, like, one, two, three, four, five, six. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, pretty bad. All right, so that's the question. So obviously, voter turnout is a problem. How do we fix this? I know some countries do have mandatory voting. Um, that I'm, you know, not super into making people do things as a little anarchist, but like, what do we do? Well, if you're going to make people vote, you have to figure out what I'm... This is... <laughs> sometimes I think like a teacher about things. I'm like, okay, so if I make a rule, right, I have to... It, requires me it's more work on my part because i got to figure out okay well what am i going to do what is the consequence <laughs> yeah, yeah when yeah. someone breaks us so all right if you're building a society what you, what's going to be your consequence for not voting Ugh, i don't feel comfortable putting any of those there because if i think about it from a socialist lens of like you know it's the same as the what if you don't own a work question it's like i'll still take care of you it's the same thing You could find them. You could say you have to be this rich not to vote, right? Uh, (laughs) You could, you know, punish them, put them in jail or something, or make them do community (laughs) service. I don't know. I'm I'm not in favor of mandatory voting, assuming a socialist project, right, or or an anarchist project or whatever. You know, if we were making the commune of the future, I don't think I would recommend mandatory voting. Yeah, I think it's going to end up being more of that social pressure thing of like, oh, weirdo didn't fucking vote. What the fuck? Doesn't he care about our community? Yeah, definitely. And I, I would encourage that to be part of the culture. I wouldn't make it like a law that we get to punish people who don't do that. Because, uh, I mean, you know, it, not voting is, is could be just uh, general apathy or um, laziness or whatever or inability to vote in some way but it could also be like expressing like i don't 
oh, this is fucking bullshit or whatever, you know, like <laughs> it can be kind of expressing a political opinion in a way. Yeah, because I mean, when you look at the the real reason behind people not voting, I mean, a lot of it is just logistical of like, hey, I can't take time off work or I don't have transportation or I don't have the right set of IDs, increasingly ridiculous ID amounts required. And then there is also huge disenfranchisement of just like, yeah, it's not going to fucking do anything. But if you were in like a really direct democracy at a really local level, you would probably see changes happening like much more closer to home. Yeah. And it's kind of a combination of those two things too, if you think about it. Because like uh, things can be inconvenient in our lives, but we still do them because there's like a reason to, you know, and there's kind of a sliding scale maybe the more inconvenient it is, the more important it has to be for us to still do it. And so like the less and less important people think of voting as, because like, it's like, well, why fucking bother? They're just going to screw us over one way or the other. Then like, you're not going to be willing to, you know, go jump through all those, you know, increasing hoops to, to go do it. And so in the, you know, in the commune, we could look at this and say, okay, well, this, this voter turnout was this, well, let's look at the percentage of people that didn't vote. What were the reasons we could conduct surveys? We could try to figure out, you know, it's cool. Like you can tell us we're not going to, you know, punish you, (laughs) but like, did you just think we were, that we suck? Like did, did, was it too hard? Can we make it easier for you? You know, these sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. It absolutely should be like as accessible as possible in like every conceivable way. Like if you have a disability and you can't travel, like if you, um, I don't know. There's like a million different things that could be done. Like it should just Mm -hmm. be like, it should be so fucking easy. (laughs) Yeah. What about, I've heard about this from other countries. I think Australia has it. Ranked choice voting. I've heard this as a way to, this was going around the internet. I feel like a lot after Donald Trump got elected as like, hey, here's how you prevent like really bad people from getting into office. Is that true? And is it useful? It's still like a representative democracy thing. Okay, mm-hmm. so Yeah, let's pretend we're okay with that. It's still, yeah, it's still, <laughs> within a capitalist system, it's not going to do crazy amounts of good, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so what it would be is like you, and some listeners like, yeah, man, that's like what we do here. I get it. Uh, but <laughs> Americans, this is mostly foreign to us. There are a couple states that do this now. But what you do is you like rank your candidates. Okay, so you got candidates uh, one, two, three, and four or A, B, C, and D, or whatever, and you, and you rate them, like, first place, second place, third place, fourth place, whatever, however, however many. And then they tally up all the first place results, uh, first place votes, right? And whoever, if no one gets a majority, then they cross out the last place person. They take all their votes and recount them, but, like, redistribute them to their second place vote. Oh. All right, so then the percentages go up, and then you say, okay, do we have a majority Yes or no. And then if not, you repeat the process. There's different ways to do it. There's like, there's like a, a bunch of formulas and stuff. So, but that's like the most common way to do it, I think. Okay. This sounds very mathy. I don't like that. It is. Um, but like, <laughs> if you think about how so much uh, the election totals and everything, they're, they're digitally tallied and stuff now. That's true. It's mostly able to be, to be done, I think. I think. Again, it's just, it's a technical uh, probably a technical improvement in some way. It's going to allow you to vote for somebody, even though you think that they probably won't win because you still get to have kind of a say if you're, you know, darling, 
leftist candidate doesn't win, you can still vote, you know, you can put your second or third place person as, you know, the hold your nose and vote for them. Yeah. You know, Joe Biden ass option. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah. That's how it was definitely phrased in, in those kinds of posts of like, this still allows you to dictate a preference and to, you know, it prevents the lesser of two evils situation. I don't know. I, <laughs> I'm not super. I, I like it, I guess. It's like fine, but I, there's an element of it that's still trying to make excuses for why we should in some way support, like, like the Democratic Party, right? Like, yeah, milk toast motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, and say, well, you can go out there and, like, vote for your loser or whatever if you want to, but, like, you still need to, you know, lend us tacit support. Like, I don't know. And it's still kind of like blaming the left for for the miserable performance of, like you said, milquetoast liberals, you know? It's like saying, well, only, if only the Bernie bros would come out here and vote. <laughs> it's always our fault, but yeah. there's also not enough of us to elect a president. It's yeah. super weird. We're, we're simultaneously insignificant <laughs> and horrifying. Schrodinger's leftists. <laughs> but yeah, I that's the thing that rubs me the wrong way about it. You know, I'd be of half a mind just to write my first place and just turn in the ballot and say, fuck you, you know? <laughs> just write it in all the spaces. Just like, <laughs> fuck you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do think that's a good point. And even if you, like, try to, like, flip it the other way of, like, oh, well, this prevents you from voting from, like, for a super evil person and, like, from them winning. winning, And I'm, like, it could still totally win. And also, like, I don't want that turned against me. Yeah, that's true. So that one's out for me. No, yeah, yeah. I I don't – I think it's fine in a – within a capitalist, you know – democracy or whatever like it's it's okay it's a reform but you know i don't i don't think too much about reform so this yeah that's the uh, thing <laughs> and i don't i don't think it will substantially help the material conditions of people either it's just it's it's gonna make things more confusing you know if you do want to do electoral reforms to help regular people today one big one is just making it easier to vote you're still talking about reforms within the systems but if, if you're constricting yourself to that i think just accessibility to voting is a better avenue than the math solution for our reformist friends. That's definitely like, we're on board with that. Like if, if y'all are all about, you know, make voting a national holiday oh, yeah. and like make it so like, it's just the easiest fucking thing in the world to do. Absolutely. Sure. That is a great stopgap measure for the time mm-hmm. being. <laughs> um, yeah. I also agree with that. So I don't know. We've been talking a lot about like going back and forth between present day democracy and what we want it to be in future calming land. And one thing that I like kind of was laughing reading about, like just the regular Wikipedia page for democracy is how steeped it is in like just very snooty culture, I guess of. So um, one, one, this is more of an aside. I thought it was very funny that they, they listed some cornerstones of democracy. And I want to, I want you to say which one of these stands out. Okay. <laughs> cornerstones of democracy include freedom of assembly, association, property rights, freedom of religion and speech, inclusiveness and equality, citizenship, consent of the governed, voting rights, freedom from unwarranted governmental deprivation of the right to life, liberty and minority rights. Which one of those is like a little weird to you? 
I don't know what property rights had to do with it. Yeah, what the fuck did that have to do with it? <laughs> I was like, am I missing something? <sighs> but that's, I mean, you know, that's what we mean when we say, like, capitalist democracies, liberal democracies, bourgeois democracies is they just go ahead and write that into it, right? They just go yeah, ahead and say, yeah. slip it in there with all the other, um, with all the other good things. That was one of the things from the reading too, right? Uh, Malatesta said, oh, they'll, they have to have all these like, oh, rights of man bullshit so that they mm-hmm. can slip in these things that otherwise you would be like, hey, hold up, what? You, you have yeah, the right yeah. to keep the pile of money from your dead ancestors? Like what? <laughs> so my other, I guess, main point, that was just a fun little sidetrack, is that in reading about democracy, like if you look at the history of it, maybe not like all the way back to, you know, ancient Greece or whatever, but let's just think like Enlightenment age. It really was the transition to power from like monarchy kind of role to democracy, but it it's like they were too scared to go straight to the people. Like that's very obvious in, in the way that like the United States and a lot of other places as well, and the way their government is set up. Like that was a huge concern of like, well, we can't just like let the people do it. <laughs> yeah. And and the the entirety of the democratic project, if you're talking you know, English Civil War, the parliamentarians, outside of like the radical, you know, true levelers and and, and the diggers and stuff. Uh, outside of those guys, your your mainstream parliamentarians were advocating for a property holders republic. Okay, so like you had to be rich enough to vote. That's the democracy they wanted. And it's the same thing in the United States. You know, most of the states had property requirements uh, for voting up until the 1830s, 1840s. Yeah. So like, I just I think that's important to point out. And you can say, well, like, oh, well, that's changed now. But like, listen to all of the barriers to voting we just talked about, like the same rule still applies. Like if you're not rich enough to have a salary job, or you can like take the day off to go vote, or even to take some time off to go vote. Sorry, you ain't voting. Or, you know, it's not just that it's it's if you have if you're working three, four jobs, and you are trying to care for your kids and all this, you don't. Oh, yeah. childcare That's huge. Even if you had some time free in the day, I mean, we're asking you, you know, to spend your like one, two hours to yourself and just toss that away for what? Standing in a line in like potentially hot weather. If you have a chronic illness where you can't stand for long periods of time, like there's a million barriers. There's early voting and everything, of course. But again, we're asking you with very, you know, some people with very limited time to do that or ability to do that then saying, well, do all that for what (laughs) (laughs) so i guess i just wanted to bring that up because like i think our obviously the history we're taught is much more like lionizing of these ideals of like wow they really just wanted to give people the rights to do shit and it's like they wanted to give like a few people rights they're very very scared of other people getting those yeah initially and that's not to say that everyone was you know on the wrong side of that like they were like we said you know even back in in the english civil war times there were uh, the diggers who were trying to expand that to everyone and the true levelers and stuff who were saying, no, everyone should have, or I guess universal manhood suffrage anyway. Uh, and then eventually there was, you know, the push for that. There was a the push for you know, women's suffrage. Like there are people throughout history trying to expand that democratic circle at every step of the way too. There's also the other side that's saying, no, do you want to turn this over <laughs> to the rabble? You know? 
All right, so now that we've kind of got a handle on like some of the different kinds of democracy and, you know, the American tradition of how we view democracy, what about the cool guys? What do they think about it? What do the anarchists think? What do the communists think? Like how how do we want to organize ourselves in this way? Yeah, let's let's talk about that. So they're vastly different approaches in a way. I mean, I think that they would all end up in the same place, but, you know, the classic difference between the anarchists and maybe the Marxists in general is how do you get there? <laughs> let's do it right now is what the anarchists Yeah, say. so the anarchist conception, I think, of democracy is definitely, uh, it's not, I wouldn't say it's representative so much as it's, it's more direct, but the, the key thing I think for them is consensus because without consensus, if you end up resorting to majoritarian ways to do things, then you're going to be forcing some people to do something that they disagree with. <laughs> I'm once again thinking of the dispossessed where like they kind of realize they've accidentally gotten into like a majority rule where they're like, man, if I disagree with something, like I'm basically shunned, like I'm not kicked out, but like everyone treats me like shit. Like I basically can't do certain things here. And isn't that like, you know, in direct opposition to our project? Sort of. Yeah. But you you also mentioned it though earlier is like, well, you would just get shunned, you know, or, or if you did something <laughs> against it. So I don't know. There is that social pressure aspect that is there and is going to be there in any human society you can't just get rid of that and say hey no you got to treat you know the fascists nicely <laughs> because then you're trying to control how people react to things and that's also not fair yeah and, and a lot of people say well this sounds chaotic and everything and, and it is but you have to also i think step back and say what is important that we are all on the same page on and what does it not, where does it not matter right so one of the big things i think with the anarchists is that kind of if they don't get consensus on something, then the idea is we're not going to force people to do it. Maybe we end up instead of all figuring out one way to solve this problem. Maybe those of us who want to do it this way, do it this way. And those of us who want to do it a different way, do it a different way. Like maybe we can actually have more than one policy at the same time. Basically. Let's give an example. I think this maybe is an example from our, our board game that we played the, the quiet year of, you know, somebody wants to build a church and like, maybe that's not everybody's jam, but we can say like, Hey, if you don't want to go to it, you don't have to fucking go to it. Just like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and so like the people who want to build a church, they can be in charge of like gathering the resources for that, devoting the time for that. Anyone's w who wants to participate in that can participate in that. It's very much, I like that you bring up the dispossessed. It's very much like that of like, Hey, we form like, you know, the, the, the university or whatever, you know, like people who are interested in these things, like they get together and they do these research projects and stuff. And it's, it's very much like, I guess, you know, community driven. I think you then have to be really clear about what your main goals are or what your main project is so that you don't end up with any like shitty stuff. And what I mean by shitty stuff is like discriminatory stuff or like just, I don't know. Like you can't, you can't let it go too far, I guess. I don't know. Like the church example, I feel like is fairly harmless unless that church is like, well, we're going to like eat people. Like you can't let that happen. <laughs> yeah. But how do you stop that? I don't know. You just have to have the people go stop it. Right. Okay. <laughs> Everyone has a baseball bat. Yeah, sort of. I mean, that's <laughs> essentially what the anarchists argue is that the people won't allow people to 
take their rights away, just as they're not taking other people's rights away. So once you decide, hey, I'm going to go fuck up this guy's rights, then that guy and his fellow anarchists are going to stop you from that. So I think that is an important kernel. I think we mentioned this with the anarchy reading as well, is like, you can have rights as long as they don't infringe on other people's rights. Yeah, for sure. The the same freedom to go and freedom to believe whatever you want is fine. Yeah, you can be an asshole if you really want to. <laughs> but like putting those beliefs into practice in a way that targets other people, that's where the rest of the commune is going to say, you're not going to be able to do that. When you try to do that, we're going to fix you. All right. What about those Marxist Leninists? those MLMs. What do all those guys think about democracy? I know Lenin wrote a lot about it. So I don't know. I, I think, I think it gets a little bit of a bad rap sometime. Um, Cause I, <laughs> I would argue that Marxists want more democracy than, you know, capitalists or, or liberals do. I would agree on that. I think there is a, a pop culture or a, um, a common sense. Yeah, there, there's a shared idea of, of communist countries being non, not democratic and tyrannical or dictatorship, like we talked about last week with like the red fascism kind of scare. Whereas we may have democracy in name of like, yeah, I went to go vote, but like we all also understand that it's a lot of bullshit. Right, yeah. <laughs> so it, it's like, do you, how do you want it? <laughs> you know? You'll hear a lot of times, oh, well, you know, but like, Marx, you know, he's for a dictatorship, man, you know, and, and. Oh my God. That's what. They didn't read the next two words. Well, even so, I, I honestly, I mean, I think it's a little <laughs> bit of bad branding, right? Like, why do we got to keep using, maybe we shouldn't keep using dictatorship of the proletariat, right? It's like, kind of makes it sound like we want a dictatorship. Yeah, mandate of the people is much friendlier. That's kind of good. Because, uh, I mean, you know. For a little one-on-one, if you skipped the previous, all the episodes. um, Welcome. (laughs) A little (laughs) one-on-one there. When communists talk about the dictatorship of the proletariat, all it's saying is that the power of the state or the commune or whatever you have is in the hands of the working class, the proletariat, the people. The reason Marx used dictatorship of the proletariat was to contrast that with what he says we have now. Even though we have democracy in name, we actually have a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie or the capitalists, the bosses. Um, and he's saying, I want to flip that. I want to change that. You know, Right now, the state just works for the interests of the capitalists. They're in charge. They tell everyone else what to do. That's why he says it's a dictatorship. He wants to flip that and say, now I want the people to be in charge. So now this dictatorship is good because it's the people who are doing it, right? That was an old, clever turn of phrase that we may want to like modernize. <laughs> it's been taken out of context. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So when we say dictatorship of the proletariat, then it's the people in charge. How how do they decide what they're going to do? Well, first of all, <laughs> to kind of correct my initial thinking of this, and I, I was kind of typing out like, okay, well, what sort of characteristics do we see? I guess the first thing to address is that like it, it looks different in different situations and in the future in, you know, our glorious communist future, it will look different depending on the material conditions to be good Marxists about it. We got to say that, right? Yeah. Disclaimer, disclaimer. <laughs> yeah. Now to be, to be lousy utopians about it, let's, <laughs> let's figure out what it would look like. So generally in historical examples, anyway, we've seen that 
uh, socialist states tend to be more majoritarian uh, versus consensus, right? So you're, you're going to go with the majority vote. Um, it's not to say that it's they don't try to, because we're going to see some examples of them trying to reach more of a consensus, right? Putting in the work to get people on board with what they're doing, all right? But at the end of the day, you are going to have a vote. The majority is going to you know, do it and you're going to enact a policy. I think one big difference in that, that we've been kind of talking about along the edges maybe um, is that uh, communist democracy is not just political democracy. It's not just here's a way to vote for your leaders. It's not just representative democracy in that way, or even just like direct democracy, like let's figure out these policies. But like we're talking all the way down to like economic democracy of being in control of your workplace. That's another big component of it. When, okay. When you say economic, so you, you mean your workplace directly, like where my, you know, factory that I work at, my office that I work at, whatever. How then do those interact with each other? Taking a Marxist-Leninist approach or a Maoist approach, like we're, we're talking a worker state sort of thing, we would be looking at some form of central planning. Uh, and that could look a number of different ways depending on your conditions, right? So back in the day, they had to just kind of submit reports and calculate it all out at Goss plan and then churn out quotas and, and try to meet that pretty haphazard. Remember in Chile, the Star Trek computer. Yeah. They were modernizing it with the, with the computer feedback and everything. Think, think about the capabilities. All right. All right. You want to, you want a centrally planned economy? Think about Walmart. Think about Amazon. These guys oh managed God, to do yeah. it. You know, we could do yeah, that. I can get a computer charger in an hour from without leaving my house. Like if I can do something so frivolous as that. Yeah. <laughs> or even like, you know, the AI memes that are going around, like the, the image generator. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> Have yeah. you seen those? Yeah. yeah. What if like we put all that like computing processing power to like something useful? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it's not to say we can't do frivolities, of course, but like. Oh, for sure. For sure. But uh, but yeah, I agree. Like we. we are in such a stage of, of technological advancement that some of these things of like, Oh, planned economies are too clunky. Like dude, you're, you're essentially living in a planned economy. It's just got like 30 different bosses at, you know, and, and we're just saying, what if we have all those guys working together on the same team and we're not exploiting people, you know, like that making some changes, but like still utilizing that planning, that logistics capability. So at, at your workplace, right? You're, uh, your common, your regular workers, their job would be obviously to, to carry out the work and stuff, but to feed back up the system, what's working, what's not, uh, what, you know, what struggles do we have? Um, I remember you were over here and you were looking through a day in the life of the Soviet Union book that I have. It was from the late eighties, but I love that book, but describe <laughs> the the picture that you were. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, this is this is an amazing coffee table book, and I was actually just about to bring that up when you did. Is it was this photograph of like this crowd of people surrounding, uh, and I think they were mostly women mm-hmm. um, surrounding these these two guys who like had clipboards, and they're just it looked like they're just like telling them off, and the caption was like, "This is a workers' meeting." Like the everyone was just telling the managers what they thought about how the workplace was run. Yeah, it was kind of like. Oh, like a open mic complaint thing. So, you know, like, like, a, like a town hall situation and uh, economic democracy definitely means that, you know, you, you want a say in how your workplace is run. And, and I get it. Nobody wants to go to another meeting, right? Because another meeting <laughs> just means right now that you're being told something that could have been in an email. 
your boss is just kind of giving you more things to think about, putting more on your plate. But when, when you're talking about a meeting in a worker state, we're talking about a meeting in even like a, an arco syndicalist, you know, situation or whatever, where you're running your workplace, like you're making your own future days at work better, easier for yourself and, and, and your fellow workers. Are, do we have any examples of like how other leftist projects have like dealt with democracy or not dealt? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we have a couple of examples of, um, of Marxist Leninist states and, and kind of what they did or what they continue to do. We should say is both of them are still around. So one is Cuba. Um, and I, I had a, a source for this. I put it in my notes here, a link to a video that was from 2018. So I kind of had to do some research to get like the modern version because they updated some of the laws and stuff there since then. But it was by Azure Scapegoat. To break down Cuba's kind of system, uh, their constitution was most recently rewritten in 2019. So very recently. Wow. Ours is like fucking <laughs> still like taped together. <laughs> from a different century what the fuck yeah it's very terrible and their constitutional rewriting process was very democratic they held 135,000 meetings across the country holy shit to consider like amendments to propose amendments and stuff to this new constitution like they kind of did a draft and then they were like hey here's what we're thinking and people were like well what about this what about this and they would come up with all these uh, and then they had a big referendum. So after all these meetings across the country and then after bringing up the amendments and saying, okay, yeah, this is a good idea. We'll put in that in whatever. Then they end up with this, you know, huge document, but it's one that they've put in all this time. The people have had a say in it, right? So they have a big referendum and they end up with like 90% of people voting. Yes. They have an 84% voter turnout. Holy crap. Uh, yeah. And that's, they've done that before. Back in 1976, the constitution before that, they did a similar thing. They had big meetings they generated like 16,000 amendments at their meetings. And they, you know, because everyone was like, yeah, they took into account all of what we wanted to put in there. Then they have so many people showing up, you know, and voting for it. That's one example of that whole, we were saying about, um, deliberative right of getting to talk that out and getting to have input in the process makes it more worthwhile than they them just showing up hey do you like our ideas you know this is your idea too yeah yeah you have more i mean ownership they also have elements of direct democracy in cuba so um this is through uh the cdrs the committees for the defense of the revolution which sound i think they sound more aggressive than they are uh, really but do. they were in the context they were formed in the context of like counter-revolutionary violence breaking out people like someone like set off a bomb um, in havana somewhere and castro was like hey we gotta you know we gotta set up these we, we gotta defend the revolution against you know the enemies and whatnot you know but the the way this works you have to be 14 years or older to join uh, and then you meet at least quarterly or more often uh, to basically like run your run aspects of your communities, um, things like public health or hygiene, waste and recycling, like putting together volunteer work brigades for things, doing mutual aid for people who are, are struggling in the neighborhood, um, doing propaganda work as well, you know, putting out educational stuff and things for people, um, as well as kind of its older 
um, thing that it carries over still is, is like security versus counter-revolutionary things like, oh, is somebody trying to work with the CIA or whatever? That's so cool, though. I love that. I love that idea. So I'm, I'm assuming this is like, is this like voluntary, like on the side of whatever it is you normally yes. do for work? Mm-hmm. or how? Okay, yeah, this yeah. is just a, almost like a club. I mean, it's not, not mm-hmm. a paid position. Um, and I like that one, another thing they do is, is kind of send up proposals. So like we were saying through the economic democracy where you send up things up the line and say, hey, what about this? Like The CDRs also do this. They send up proposals to the Communist Party. They're separate from it, but they you know work together still. And so it's like on the ground feedback. It's like, hey, our neighborhood over here, we're struggling with this. you know. Or, and this is structured in that same kind of cellular way, like we were saying before, where it's like very neighborhood level, like, like your literal, your street, your block. And then it builds up from there. That's very cool. What is the difference then between that and like the Communist Party? Is it just a structural thing or I don't know? The Communist Party in Cuba is more of like the activist, the political activists. Um, It's only around 700,000 members out of a population of 11 million. Um, And so these are the guys that are like dedicated, you know, political cadres, political activists. They are trying to advance the Communist Party agenda. A lot of them are, are like professional some of them are professional party members or whatever. A lot of them are just like prominent members in the community and stuff. But the CDR is more, the CDRs are more like local groups. It's like Hyper-local. less prestigious. I wouldn't say it takes less effort, but it's just, it's like less of a. Less of a scope. They're not like the government. You know, they're more like just gotcha. people helping gotcha. people, almost a mutual aid sort of thing. Plus the security side of it. I don't want to gloss it, you know, and. <laughs> oh, he's not talking about their surveillance or whatever. You know, they do that, too. So uh, next, though, about Cuba is their elections. Kind of keep it simple here. They have municipal-level elections, your lo- like your local like city or, or that sort of thing, um, and then national uh, assembly elections. That's every five years they have elections. They used to have state elections or province elections, but they got rid of that. Makes sense. It's pretty small. So every five years they have elections. They always have super high turnout. Um, in 2018, they had pretty low turnout at 85%. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it's not, voting is not even required. It's voluntary. Wow. And and it's still 85%. Still That's 85%. pretty impressive. Well, you're automatically registered to vote. That's huge. Immediately. No filling out paperwork or nothing, right? There's no party requirement to be able to vote or to be elected. Uh, the Communist Party of Cuba actually doesn't directly participate in the election, it's it's an overwhelmingly like communist country, so it's not to say that most people aren't communists when they're elected or anything. They are. But it's just they're not like they're putting money into it, running ads or anything like that. I liked this. Uh, interesting interested to hear your thoughts on it. To be able to vote, age requirement, sixteen. Huh. Sixteen to be able to vote and to be elected to your local government. <laughs> Yeah. This is our teen mayor. Oh, man. Here's the thing. I was really fucking stupid at 16. Sure, but aren't plenty of people really... Plenty of people continue to be stupid, yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't detract from, you know, your informedness on the issues, while I would hope that it could be improved and that you would want to improve it. I, don't, I think you're right to have a say in the government that sets the laws for your people doesn't go away because you're less informed. I think it's an overall good if it's 
within this system of like hyper local involvement and stuff like that because you're getting them at an early enough age that they can like see these immediate effects and like maybe want even to stay in their community because they're like yeah i want to keep helping this place yeah yeah that's true i think it's interesting uh and then to be elected to the national assembly you have to be 18 Okay, that's fine. <laughs> Still a teen, but whatever. So I'm for I these I reforms. Just don't care. Um, I think 16 to vote, that's great. Yeah, I'm for it. They have a very high representation percentage, I don't know what that's called, uh, of women in the National Assembly. So in their current National Assembly, 53.2% of them are women. Holy crap. We have like, what, three women senators right now? <laughs> we have more than that. It's not very many. 321 out of 605. That's for Cuba. Uh, For the U.S., we're looking at, in Congress, that's House of Representatives and Senate, 27%. So that's 145 out of 535. Okay. Not great. Another thing that I would point out is those numbers there are pretty ridiculous. Not just the percentage of women. But did you get the total number there? Yeah, what, sorry, our total is what, 400 something? 535 if you 500. count the Senate and the House. And then Cuba's population is like how much smaller than ours, and they have like they have more, more people. They have more representatives <laughs> for 11 million people than we do for 331 million. That is a great point. Wow. So if you boil it down to how much of, you know, how much attention can my legislator pay to not just to me, but to my neighborhood, to my immediate needs, it's a lot smaller for Americans than for Cubans. Uh, Some other characteristics that they have, they have an age limit for, like an upper age limit for the president of Cuba. It's a little bit convenient, kind of, because like they said, it has to be a, a max of 60 years old to start your first term. Uh, So if you're already like in your first term, which this guy was, then it doesn't apply to him. So a little convenient for him, but it's good for the future, I guess. Um, (laughs) That seems kind of young. I don't know. I feel like I know a lot of 60 year olds that have it together. Yeah, maybe 70, probably for sure. I would, I would put a 70. 70, Yeah, I'm okay with that. Apologies to any uh, septuagenarians listening. No, yeah, that is a little ageist. And I would be interested to see like, what are alternatives to doing that? But. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. I mean, this gets, I think, to one of my essential questions about government. Like I mentioned it earlier, of like the idea of like, oh, well, like only the smartest or best people should be in charge. Like, there's so many different ways to define that. So like, if, if we're looking at the problem of, let's say, ageism of even like on the younger end of things, like what age should, you know, teens be allowed to vote? I mean, not everyone's the same in every age. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know? true. That's true. And, like, you don't want to do things like fucking IQ tests or something because, like, those can be super ableist and shitty. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's not a great way to determine that in, in like, a black and white rule. It may just be better not to have such limits and just to make sure people are informed about who they're choosing or... Or have an exit ramp <laughs> of, like, hey, this guy's, like, off his rocker, right? Like, we can all agree. You could recall people. <laughs> That's true. You know, yeah. you could set it up that way. Or you can just say, like, you know, the anarchists, let's not do so much representative stuff. Like, let's be more direct. And that way you don't have to worry about (laughs) someone who's (laughs) If crazy grandpa wants to vote a certain way, we can just ignore him. It's fine. Yeah. So if you're elected as one of these delegates to your local government or even the national government, 
you don't get any pay, which I don't know is kind of rough. I would be more for Lennon's solution of like a prevailing worker's wage or whatever. Yeah, I, same here. I don't want you to be rolling around with your, you know, fancy, like we do in in, in the U.S. where you get paid a bunch and you get all the <laughs> lobbyist money and all that. My Yeah, my immediate question upon hearing that is like, well, how do they live? Like, either have to be rich enough to say, well, I don't need a job, so let me go into government. Or I guess they're somehow getting some some money from some... Like, I well, don't understand how they You also, I mean, it's survive. not 100%. You're not doing things 100% of the time. Kind of like, you know, the Texas mm. legislature or whatever. You're not always in session. Okay, doing gotcha, shit. gotcha, yeah. gotcha. I think they should be always in session doing shit and also be getting paid. I think I would be in favor of that more. Um, if we're doing representative, if we're doing anarchists, obviously you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Well, so how do they vote, right? So they have municipal elections. And what you do is you choose the candidates in like neighborhood assemblies. Uh, okay. And this has, again, huge turnout. Everybody shows up basically. And they, they pick who's going to be the candidates for their neighborhood. And so then they post this and uh, they have the elections by like wards, which is anywhere from two to eight neighborhood kind of conglomerated together, each one with a candidate, all right, that they've decided on in these, in these meetings. So when, when you do that, you, you know, they basically just, uh, they post those people like their faces or, and their like little bio and what they are, you know, the reasons that they're running, they post those up. That's the election season. That's the election campaign. There's no spending money. There's no, you know, election promises or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. See, I love that. Are these are these pictures and bios available? Like, like when you vote, you can just read them? Uh, I don't know if they, they probably do have them in the voting booth, too. I didn't see a picture of that or anything, but they do have them, like, posted publicly outside. They have them online. They probably have them in the voting booth, too. I don't know. Because that's, okay, I have a Swiss cheese brain, and that's my problem with voting. I mean, I have a lot of problems with voting right now. But the last time I went to go vote, like, I really wanted to look up, like, names and shit. And, like, I couldn't because, like, a cop yelled at me to put my phone away. But a white guy next to me definitely was looking at his phone while he was voting, so. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, uh, they serve certain interests, so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just want to point that out. I need a list with me. I know I could have written down the list beforehand. Don't fucking at me. If it helps, it didn't matter. It didn't matter at all. So <laughs> so anyway, the national elections are kind of run the same way or similar way. Uh, half of the National Assembly are nominated from those municipal elections, basically. So they have more big meetings and they say, OK, who are we going to who's going to be our candidates from the municipal delegates? Who are we going to send to the national to be national delegates? The other half come from mass organizations these are things like the cdrs we were talking about uh women's federation uh labor unions the universities and the small farmers association that's really cool yeah so they get to pick and they put those guys on the ballot too all right so when they come up with these lists and everything in these mass meetings and then they have the election the elections on sunday um they have secret ballots they they have this kind of nerdy thing where they have like school children guarding, quote unquote, guarding the, the ballot boxes there. That's cute. Yeah, it's just, you know, to give them part of like a little civics sort of thing. And also yeah. like their parents keep coming in to like, hey, you're okay, you need anything? So it's like, you know, <laughs> the community is kind of taking part in this. It's it's very communal. Yeah. 
And what are you going to do, voter fraud in front of a child? (laughs) (laughs) You got to feel a little bit bad about that. Yeah, that's low. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, they do that. They count the votes publicly. Now, when when you're going in to vote, you said you had a Swiss cheese brain. All you have to remember is, am I voting for this person or not? So when you go in, you can vote for the full list. You can say, all these motherfuckers are good. I love these guys. Or you can say, I like this guy and I like this guy. I don't like this this person, though. So you can you can selectively vote or you can turn in a blank one you can say no all these fuck all these you know, hoes they're all bad that's how it's run because the idea is we spent the time in the mass meetings figuring out that these are good guys or that you know that we think these guys, these people are pretty good we had a consensus going there basically so we shouldn't have a problem now if they get less than 50% at the election then they don't get picked and they have to go back and pick someone else that's similar to how the Soviets did it. I like that because it's a lot easier to be like, no, not that one. <laughs> Another thing, once you get elected, you're not out of the, in the clear. You have to meet with your constituents. You're legally obligated to do so uh, at least twice a year. A lot of times they do more. You have to go to like a, what they call accountability sessions, which is like a, a town hall. And, you know, you answer questions and say, well, I haven't you fixed this fucking thing or whatever. Um, and like you said, you can be recalled whenever. That's huge. <laughs> I don't think they do it, but you can be. No, but just the accountability stuff alone, like how many times hmm. like people are like, oh, call your representative. I'm like, I'm, there's no way I'm going to get through. Like, I'm just going to fucking leave a voice message or like email and like nothing will happen. Now I'm on fucking Louis Gohmert's email list. <laughs> <laughs> That's all that happens is he got my address. Yeah, for sure. It's very ineffectual here unless you are like for some reason in a competitive district or a group that they care about if you're not you know you're chopped liver mm-hmm. if you personally know him maybe but that's about it yeah <laughs> all right so that's cuba that's kind of how they do things that's a good example i'm into it overall very good would do over this system in a heartbeat yeah i think it's you know get complaints oh well they only have one person on the ballot but i think that with all that with all the democracy going on from below, I think yes. it's so much more democratic as an overall system than our kind of illusion of choice thing where they don't ask for your input at all and they just give you a bunch of shitty options and say, hey, narrow this down to two guys. Okay, now who are you going to pick, you know? Yeah, definitely. It's it's the difference between top down and, and bottom up. It's like a multiple choice question versus an essay question. Mm, Yes. (laughs) Um, All right. Uh, Next example I had was Vietnam. Mm, What's what are they doing? Uh, So Vietnam, you know, one party state, Communist Party of Vietnam. Uh, Good source for this. And she has the notes and everything in her description of the video there. Uh, But this is from uh, Luna Oi's YouTube channel. She had a video on this. I linked it in the notes. But so they're pretty interesting. They do a similar thing to cuba in terms of like having street level elected leaders hyper local yeah this is the like the leader or like kind of the elected guy on my neighborhood on my street they they also don't need to be a party member to be elected or anything most of them are and most of them end up being party members but there are some in the national assembly who are independent and you can go and you can campaign as like, oh, I'm like pro-business. You know, there, there are a lot of like business interests and, and basically capitalist sort of firms or whatever in Vietnam. People hmm. do, you know, campaign on that. Uh, she was saying in the video, like, 
they usually lose because most of us are, <laughs> are communists, you know? Yeah, We're in yeah. a communist country. We, like, support that. We fought a big, huge war to make this possible. <laughs> um, yeah. They do a similar thing campaign-wise. They post the info publicly and online. It's really plain. It's just, here's this person. Here's what they're about. They also do kind of an interview, like a town hall Q&A meeting with the candidates. Uh, there's no, like, campaigning except for just, like, going and talking to voters. You can't buy banners. You can't do any of that at all. You can only, like, go talk to people and say, hey, I'm running for, you know, like, please vote for me. You can do that. But that's it. So they're like one party thing or whatever. You have the Communist Party. But you also have something called the Fatherland Front, which sounds, you know, <laughs> Fatherland sounds weird. But um, it's essentially made up of the Communist Party plus all these other, like, groups. You're saying interest groups for It's similar to that because mm. you have – um you have like women's federations, you have like labor unions. If you're whatever like group you are a part of in the context of your life, if you um, are in whatever labor union or whatever, you're in a community group or th- those organizations are almost all of them are on the, in that fatherland front. So it's all like, uh, it's basically like the people overall, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they kind of have the ability to, and they've done so in the past um, is kind of like control or check um, things that the communist party wants to do. If the communist party is trying to go in a direction that it gets mis- it gets separated from the people in a way, you know, they can kind of rein it in and be like, eh, we should do this instead. Elections themselves. Uh, they are also Sunday elections. Um, this one is they, so they actually don't do like any mail uh, ballots or anything like that. But what they did like in COVID, for example, they just brought the ballot boxes to people. Oh my God, can you imagine? <laughs> It'd be rad. I'm like tying up my bathrobe, like, yeah, give me a pen. <laughs> <laughs> What's up? <laughs> they they also uh, have huge turnout. Like, they're also voluntary voters. But it's it's a similar thing to the Cuban situation where it's like, they, so they don't have as democratic of like a, a small, in terms of like uh, the nominating process is, is is more party run or whatever. Not party run, I should say, because it is through that fatherland front. So it's like everybody, I guess. But it's not like it's not originating with your street level leaders. It's percent. more national. Yeah. Uh, for for the National Assembly elections. I mean, you do vote on those street level guys and everything. So you still have that element. I don't want to discount it. It sounds really cool um, to me. Again, it's strange for us. You know, you still end up with that like approval or disapproval sort of thing. But you do and you do end up with like multiple candidates for things. Uh, so they, they kind of have, I guess, lo- a lower success rate maybe than, than Cuba does in terms of everyone always gets elected. <laughs> yeah, because they didn't have those, like, many meetings to, like, confirm, like, hey, this is who we're nominating. They just, like, just start nominating people. Right. So if someone, like, gets approved, just gets not, you know, it's not, not they, they get, like, uh, they, they file for the candidacy and you can nominate yourself. So there's no vetting process on that end. Well, there, yeah, there is slight a vetting process, like if you are funded by the CIA or something, or, <laughs> and, and they will, they will do that. They will disqualify candidates and whatever wow. um, because they're like they have reactionary ties and stuff, and so they're like, no, you can't do that. Um, yeah, that's fucking. But fine. as long as you're not doing that, you can like be a dumbass, and they'll be like, well, that's fine, I guess. And sure, then you, I guess you go out there and you lose. Okay, um, yeah. So it's a little less. They're they're I guess they're putting a little less of that consensus work in at the beginning but they still have like a method of of weeding out people that suck you know (laughs) 
let's kind of get to what I feel like I've been dancing around, not just for this episode, but for several episodes now, (laughs) (laughs) which are the pitfalls of democracy. Mm, Okay. How do you make sure that a democracy actually reflects people's choices? We've talked a little bit about like, you know, how maybe representative doesn't always do that. We talked about like the rigged choice ideas. We talked about how like some other countries do it. What are we thinking in general? Though? What's a good rule? What's a good guiding principle? Hmm. For me, I think it's about having that input. So kind of being deliberative with it, mm-hmm. right? Of having like Cuba does with, with being able to go and and hash it out in a meeting and say like, this guy's good. This guy's not so good. You know, really getting a chance to participate in that process outside of, I mean, again, like we do what primaries, but that's another multiple choice situation. That's another one that's heavily influenced by just who's got the most money, who's got the spare time to pay attention to it. And I don't know. I I think that that sort of participatory angle is a big deal in terms of coming up with the candidates that you're, that you're talking about. And that's just to talk about representative. Obviously, if you're moving to a more direct approach, then the democratic outcome should, I mean, that should just de facto represent the people's actual (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Inherently, that's what that's doing. Yeah. Yeah. And then we get into the next question, which I think that answer also feeds into what about bad ideas okay (laughs) what if what if the majority of your people are jerks and they believe bad things and you have to deal with that you know like how do you protect minorities how how do you guard against that i'm going to answer my own question real quick (laughs) all right do it i think it does come back to that consensus building and i think a huge component of that is like education and However, your media is run is going to be a huge part of that. You can call it propaganda if you want to, but like all of those things together, like you need an informed public. Yeah. And propaganda is only really bad if you disagree with it. Everything's <laughs> propaganda, guys. It's fine. Yeah. It's, um, it can be good. It can <laughs> yeah. teach you to be a good person, to do good things. I'm a comic artist. I make propaganda. <laughs> yeah. Well, what do you do? Uh, I, I, so that's, a, that's an element of it. But you're still going to be, you know, pulling yourself out of the lake of capitalism. So you're still going to have a bunch of wet folks. (laughs) The anarchist approach to that says, well, they're going to, you know, like we said, they, they may have some bad ideas. But as long as they don't try to do those things to other people, then it's fine. And, and like, you don't need to worry about everyone being racist or, you know, whatever. Like if you're in a bad part of the country where everyone has retrograde views on something or lots of people do. If somehow you have achieved anarchism there anyway, then they can't do anything to you because then your actual good anarchists who are like, Hey, anarchy is not about, you know, you you can't like take people's freedoms away like that by being discriminatory toward them. They would step in now. I mean, it, it depends on, doing anarchy well i guess because if you're not right like yeah i think it where it gets concerning i think where a lot of people have their concerns is kind of the scenario you're talking about like all right if i if i live in a place like in a conservative area that just happens to have more people who like 
are not down with let's you know queer people or black people or whatever it is i mean you're right i think it does depend on an anarchy that is accurate in that it teaches people that like hey that's not okay to do but if somehow they've gotten the message of anarchy without the message of like solidarity between everybody then like what do you do i guess <laughs> well uh, the converse of that and it's not as good of a solution the, the good solution is enough of us are good anarchists so when someone's an asshole anarchist who doesn't get it we can make them get it or make them get out when the numbers are flipped the second best solution is that because you are in an anarchist society well kind of one right <laughs> you're kind of in one <laughs> uh, hopefully the material part of that is achieved too so you don't face as many barriers as you do in our society now so you actually are able to just leave when you don't like it it's it's kind of like a, a crappy phrase that we associate yeah, with like, like oh, just move right you can love it or leave it sort of thing right but like in like a narco-communist society even if they're doing this part shitty if they're doing the rest okay then you should have the resources or whatever you should be able to actually leave and go find a place that's doing it right 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 what is concerning i think to a lot of people on the left who are like I don't know, just like more involved in marginalized communities. And I think the left has gotten better about this over the past few years. Like, I think there's a certain level of awareness now. But for a long time, like the left has been like a pretty, at least the American left, has been um, uh, almost, I don't know if hyper-focused is the right way to put it. Uh, But you'll meet a lot of like online leftists who are just like, well, we only can focus on economics. Like, that's the only thing. And, you know, like uh, a certain disregard for social factors. Um, so I think that is definitely where the concern comes from of like, okay, even if we get everyone on board with the socialism thing, how do I make sure that like, I'm still like safe, <laughs> you know, there's no good hundred percent guarantee of it. I mean, it comes down to the nature of what a government is. I mean, we want to hide behind laws that protect our rights, but we're just that, that, that's just a a big bad guy with a gun that's going to come and enforce the law. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think we talked about this the other day of just like, yeah, you can, you can shit on, on like the Supreme court a lot. And like, we certainly do on this program, but there was also like the Warren court that was like telling people like, Hey, you can't like do that racist thing anymore. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. So like, I, I see the benefit sometimes of having someone to say like, Hey, fucking cut it out. In this case, we just have to realize that that power is now somewhere else. It is now with, like, your community, which can be scary. This involves a lot of trust. It does, and this is probably a good good example of why, you know, Mark says, don't try to to get every utopian wrinkle out, because by the time that we've built up enough class consciousness— so like we're we're not actually going to do the wizard waves the wand and we wake up and we're in <laughs> right so we have a long road to get there and what are we doing in the process I mean, multiple things probably we're we're building up that class consciousness we're building up you know mutual aid networks you know we're we're propagandizing we're converting people and we're engaging in the class struggle and we're we're doing the kind of i guess more social justice side of it of like teaching people about like gender identity and teaching people about racism and things like that. So hopefully like 
when that revolution comes, people are more informed of those issues, right? Well, yeah, I, I think it's more than just t- teaching people about it. That's that's an important part. That's all we do here. We don't really do <laughs> much sucks. else besides just talking about it. But um, <laughs> in engaging in the class struggle, I think one of the big things I took from our episode of um, a queer theory was that engaging in the class struggle like and, and showing up to help other oppressed groups you know we're all oppressed by the same bad guy right to show up to to their struggle to show up to whatever they're organizing for and and stand in solidarity with them uh in those in, in that intersectionality but not just like in an awareness thing but like in an actually on the ground side by side with them sort of thing like i think that's the bigger component that's where we like develop not just our class identity but the the real understanding that we are on the same side and that our struggles are tied up together. I think maybe that's that's what I meant by teaching too is is showing that yeah like these are these interests are aligned absolutely and one way to do that is definitely by like showing up for other people that don't look like you. Yeah, and you don't want to be like you were saying earlier you don't want to be I think it's class reductionist or something like that where it's just oh I'll only solve the economic things and then everything else will melt away. That's never, that's not adequate. It's not going to work. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a long road to hope, but like you got to put in the work uh, to build those alliances and to build up, uh, I mean, not alliance, solidarity, a huge uh, fusion of all, everyone who capitalism stomps down into the ground. And so by the time we've done that enough to where? We end up with an, an anarcho-communist society in at least part of our country or, or wherever it pops off. You know, that area that was, you know, successful enough to start an anarchist commune, to start a worker state or whatever. I don't think they're going to have as much problem with uh, reactionary racists and stuff. Yeah, because there's there's so many of them. And odds are, like, I mean, depending on your country and your state or whatever, like, it's probably a diverse enough area that they're like, yeah, duh, like, we're, we're all showing up for each other. Like, if you put everyone together, like, that's an inherently diverse group of people. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, this is more of a modern phenomenon. Like, you know, we look back at, at historical examples and we say, well, that didn't happen wherever else. But they were in, a, you know, they didn't quite have uh, some of the awareness. Of, I mean, they did have elements. We, ta- we spent a lot of time talking about the long history you know, struggle for gay rights, for example. So they, they had some awareness of it, but I guess they just didn't have as much of an awareness of some of these issues, especially in, in gender and things like that. It wasn't what was highlighted in, I think, maybe the leadership of certain movements and also in like the history of how that is talked about today. Yeah, that's true. A good aspect of it to mention there is the leadership part. That's a good point is that I mean, it's important to have those grassroots connections. You know, if you get too separated, if you're too, if you're too much focused on just that representative democracy side without that input, then you're not going to realize like, oh, hey, I'm like, uh, you know, old person, older person with like, not, I haven't been educated on these issues or something. And you don't realize that you're behind where the people are. To me, I think a big component of of making sure we don't backslide into anything like reactionary or we don't let any like we were talking about earlier like shitty ideas or you know discriminatory ideas take place is like a robust 
you know, education and propaganda machine. And like, how do you do that? <laughs> like how, um, because I think the initial, the immediate question I get whenever I'm like, well, you have to have education to have informed voters is, well, then who's deciding on what the education is? Mm, yeah. Uh, I mean, good point. So I think the, the Marxist-Leninist approach, or the Maoist approach is probably stronger here in terms of uh, its solutions because, I mean, you just do it. So you... Yeah, you have it. You just, you pump it out. <laughs> yeah. So under the guidance of your Vanguard party that has the correct line on what should be our revolutionary approach, then they're going to go and and they're, they're going to put it together. I mean, the, the, the Politburo is going to say, hey, this is our education secretary. This is, you know, and they they will vote within the party and stuff and then go with it, you know, democratic centralism. And then they're going to put together, the, I mean, like the Soviets didn't have a problem with uh, convincing the vast majority of their people that the Soviet project was something to support, you know, and they did that with very meager resources compared to our modern times. I, I, th I think they they were successful at that. Uh, Cuba, um, Vietnam, the, these are also examples of states that, did, you know, and they, they do. They have a lot of propaganda. I get it. We do, too. <laughs> yeah, if you're not used to seeing, I guess, red communist propaganda or, or whatever, it can look kind of wild, and you're like, whoa, that's propaganda. But you're right. We live among a lot of it all the time. <laughs> it's just owned by some guys instead why i said that their approach is stronger is because what do you do in the anarchist situation you then have to agree what the education is which is another consensus requirement <laughs> sort of yeah you can you can do different approaches at the same time so you could say okay well this is going to be you know the people's commune school number one and then you know that's where like your anarcho-communists your ones that like really want the the full people's experience go. And then if you have people who are a little bit more conservative or whatever, I mean, they're still like what, uh, you know, mutualists or something. I mean, they're still, yeah, they're still there. They didn't like go pack up and live in the wilderness. Right. Yeah. But you know, if they want to do something else or maybe if some group, you know, you have a segment that wants to do a more religious, you know, there's room for them to do that too. I feel like you do have to get into a, a debate about, okay, well, how much resources are we going to devote to these things? And that could be trickier to <laughs> trickier to maneuver. <laughs> Part of why I lean more towards the more decisive, maybe, uh, Marxist-Leninist side of it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more cut and dry. Like, yeah, you, you put out the information that will, like, not lead people because that doesn't sound right because again the people putting out the information are also elected it's not like they're like mustache twirling randos you know <laughs> yeah they're they're who the people chose but you're saying um so what you're doing there you know you're showing them like this is what we're doing not like we as a separate government from you but like you are like taking part in this right through all those democratic processes that we have of you uh, getting a say in your workplace or your school, um, getting to pick your leaders or uh, getting to contribute in your community uh, organizations, your CDRs or whatever. You're showing people not just like the achievements of their great country that they can applaud, but like the achievements of them, you know? Here's how you impacted it too. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a powerful thing to like get people on that side is like to truly not like we try to do is like, well, the government is you, but like to actually (laughs) make that the case. I think we should always be able to look back and agree on like the big ticket items of like, Hey, we're not capitalists. Hey, we're going to provide for our people. Like, hey, we're not going to be discriminatory. Like, you can have your rights. Don't fuck with other people's rights. Like, those are super basic rules that, like, I think we can all agree on. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that comes back to what we were saying about the long journey we have to get to this point is that's one of the things we have to make central to our revolutionary project is the liberation of people from capitalism necessarily entails their liberation from oppression on the basis of who they are, right? Like not just their economic position, but whatever groups they're a part of too. What is our ideal formula, I guess, for, for democracy slash decision-making in general? I feel like I kind of just accidentally gave mine away. It's just like agree on the basic shit and then direct democracy, the rest of it as best you can. (laughs) Uh, What do you think? Um, well, how much would you direct democracy? What all, what all do you think is best done that way? I mean, I think this also depends on the size of the place you're working with. If we, if you are in an independent commune, you know, you're just like a, a smallish neighborhood or even a small city, then yeah, I think you could keep it all local. But like, in reality, you're probably interfacing with other groups. So I think even in a federated situation, you'd still want to like, have some representatives that can speak on your behalf, right? Generally, I think, yeah, the higher you go up in terms of scale, the more representation you need versus direct. I think it's like, (laughs) keep it as local as you can, unless it's like a really big fucking ticket item of like, hey, guys, we're going to change our, you know, our constitution or we're going to change like a big, big idea. Then maybe that one goes national. But in the middle, maybe you can go more representative? Or what do you think? Yeah, I think that even even with big stuff like that, you can have an element of, I don't, they're not 100% mutually exclusive, right? Or like a zero-sum game between them. I like the Cuban example of like, we can, at the local level, have all these meetings to, and I mean all these meetings across the country, not like a meeting Monday, Tuesday, <laughs> Wednesday, Thursday, Friday sort of thing. But like, we have the chance to give our feedback. You know, I I mean, America has like paltry versions of this when they're changing like the zoning Mm -hmm. of something or just bullshit like that at the city. They don't tell you about it. And it's just like the most boring thing imaginable. You can can come do. Yeah. And you can come do public comment or whatever for this sort of this environmental review or whatever. And it's like no one goes or like three people. I don't know. it's, It's very inaccessible and seemingly way less relevant than actually no, you know. taking part in this nationwide process, but still at that local level. I don't know. I think there's, there's a way to do both. Yes, that's right. So like, even if I, if this system had a representative component of, all right, I elected my local guys. And now some of those people are going to be on the national level. That doesn't mean they just get to do whatever they want. They say, okay, I just got elected. I'm going to propose this, but I'm also going to take it back to my people and see what they think. All right. What else do we think about? How we would do democracy in the future utopia that we're building. (laughs) I like the idea of local as much as you can. 
the national things that you're doing, you know, and you're electing your rep, you know, your national assembly representatives or delegates to do coordinating between the different communes or or the different uh, provinces of your worker state, right? Still getting that local feedback. What else? What other elements are we? We're very into the mass line, it sounds like. <laughs> oh, yeah. I am for sure. I think that's, it's a way to like not go off the rails. Think about it. You know, it's like you don't want to get too full of yourself, isolated in your government building and you never see like, <laughs> You know, the, the real people, the real, the real <laughs> America, you know, or the real wherever yeah. you're from. <laughs> I mean, I think that's the basics for me. I, I think I, I like the idea of of these kinds of ways to make sure everything does stay on the rails. And again, hopefully, like you got this far, you know, <laughs> like everyone should yeah. be on board to some extent. Like everyone, maybe a few weirdos, but whatever like they they have either fled or like maybe got a little bit not here anymore uh (laughs) or they're they're shunned or they just there's not enough of them to do anything like hopefully that that is taken care of so dave and dan are living in exile (laughs) they're living inside the van now poor things yeah they've eaten their spare tire (laughs) yeah that's a good point is you know how far we've gotten we're, we're usually going to be talking about still problematic stuff. You know, people will still have s- some racism, but we're, we're, we're talking about, you know, racism or transphobia or whatever it is that they have and probably a smaller degree than like outright um, full on racism like we think today or whatever, yes. right? So people who just like more need to be called in or whatever, if you're using that language, but what I mean, I guess, is that it's the old, uh, I think it's Proudhon who had the quote of, uh, you know, I dream of a future society that will execute me as a reactionary. <laughs> right? Ugh. You, you you want it to be that far to where, you know, people are moving <laughs> to where eventually we're the grizzled old, like people with the, with the retrograde views compared to what people are doing in the future. If I want to date an android grandpa, you're just going to have to get behind it. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i for one welcome my robotic in-laws <laughs> okay no but i think that's a great point recognizing like how far a, a society has come like i think it's okay to be like really proud of that and like not like be gross and like nationalist about it but like I think there's value in saying, like, reminding people, like, hey, like, we fucking did that really hard thing. Like, let's keep doing some difficult things together. Oh, yeah. And nationalism, why is it so bad? It's because it supports capitalism and imperialism and everything like that. And it puts down other countries in a way that, like, opens up your mind to the to, like, the acceptability of exploiting them or of killing them because they're not as good as you. That's why nationalism is bad. Nationalism in a a communist state in an anarchist commune, whatever you got, like that's good in that way. It's, that's it's fine. Just, yeah, it's just pride. Yeah. Right. It's just, it's not saying that's like just solidarity. Well, saying, like <laughs> these capitalist nations are, are bad and stuff. Yeah. But it's not saying like, let's go exploit them. Let's go <laughs> kill them or anything like that. It's just like, maybe let's protect ourselves against them in that sense. But it, domestically, it's like, look at, like you were saying, look at what we did. Look at what we're still going to do. You know, reminding people of, the mission of human liberation that we were on in the first place that got us to this point 
and that will carry us, you know, however, to whatever brave gay future we have ahead of us. <laughs> and, I mean, I know I spent a long time being like, well, you can't just say economics is going to get rid of all social problems. There is a component, though. Like, you can It'll absolutely <laughs> see a connection between, like, racial reactionary movements and, like, economic situations. I think even, like, the current unfortunate trend of transphobia is also just a way to distract us from how, like, shitty fucking everything else is. It, it's a way to get people angry and, and to feed them this misinformation about, like, medical transition as a way to scare them into voting for people. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's the It's kind of a boomer comic thing but like it's just a little one panel with the the plate with the cookies you ever seen that one mm, let me see i'll look it up cookie plate comic oh is it the foreigner wants your cookie it's like that you know anytime they get into into a tight spot right and the, the economy's not doing so well it's easy for them to, to pit us against each other Definitely put us against each other domestically and internationally, too, of like, oh, it's the bad guy's fault. And that's not going to be a thing, <laughs> you know? Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, hey, we didn't end on a downer this time. I feel kind of hopeful. Yeah. I mean, the downer is that we've we've got a long way to Shut go, up. I guess. But um, <laughs> that's not, I mean, it's not so bad. Think about all the all the improvements we'll make along the way. Yeah. If you don't burn up first. Yeah. Shut up. Come on. We were so close. <laughs> hey, uh, you have to have some sort of a wild optimism to be a communist, to be an anarchist, right? Like you have to believe in a better world against whatever odds you're actually seeing on the ground. You still have to, you know, believe it's possible somehow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we talked about last week, kind of the, fascist inherent view of like people are bad and have to be kind of controlled and they're only as good as what they can produce and i think you know we're the opposite of that we have to believe that people have inherent value and we should help them and we gotta do whatever that takes and good luck out there <laughs> yeah people are good and we are trying to free them and even people that like seem bad a lot of times they're they, they, they have such a potential to do good. You know, the system traps them or they, you know, has, has hardened them into whatever position they're in now. And that could change. And you're trying to free them too. You know, like they said in uh, the young Karl Marx, uh, all men are brothers, right? That's true. That's true. <laughs> trying to get there. Trying to get there. Well, what are we doing next week? In the meantime, before our beautiful utopia, <laughs> what are we learning about? Uh, next week, we're going to do a bio episode on a fellow who has, I mean, featured uh, <laughs> quite a bit in our in our show so far, but is now going to get the spotlight for a while. Uh, this would be the Man of Steel, Joseph Stalin. <laughs> One of our most requested topics, I would say. Okay. People want to know about Mustache Man? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, we'll 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 talk all about Papa Joe. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't want that. We'll we'll dive into it—the good and the bad. <laughs> I mean, remember he did some bank robbing. That was cool. I like that. I wish he had just stuck to bank robbing. <laughs> it would have been problematic once they were like. Oh, I guess yeah. 
<laughs> well, no, he could go to other countries around Ooh, rob their yeah. banks. I mean, an international bank robber. It's pretty good. That sounds like a Bond. Vi- I'm sure one of the Bond villains was just like a Soviet. Oh, I'm sure. Bank robber, <laughs> but like did it with a diamond suit or something. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. <laughs> with space lasers. <laughs> okay, great. I'll I'll get my uh my my strike writing pen out. You know my uh. I'll bring out my big list of Christine's no-nos and take yeah, a look bring, through bring it. Yeah, bring a few. Yeah, bring a few pens. <laughs> Might need them. I'll run out of ink like, ooh, that was also bad. Yeah. Uh, okay. There's going to be plenty of that. Now, that said, of course, we're not in the business of hit-jobbing people or tossing everything that they did out because they were heinous in certain aspects. <laughs> you got to look at the whole picture. Great. I mean, he was very handsome in that one photo. I'll give him oh, that. Oh, yeah. That one? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look up young Stalin guy. He's su- he's surprisingly hot. It's upsetting. <laughs> All right. Um, well, that's it for today, then. All right. Let that picture tide you over. <laughs> <laughs> Catch you later. All right. Bye, y'all. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts, or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Tee Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.